Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We're here with another Winging It series in the life of Luther. If you are, would like to get caught up, um, you can find all of them at letthebirdfly.com slash life of Luther. So that should be easy enough. You don't usually hear my voice, this is Peter, um, on these Winging It's because it's usually Mike and Wade. Unfortunately, Mike is not with us today because we are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it is frigid out. It has been for most of the week, and Mike had some home problems. He had some pipes that started uh, bursting or something like that. We don't know the, the details yet, but he was scheduled to record with uh, Wade and then couldn't, and so Wade contacted me, and I said, sure, I can come in, but I really don't know much about the topic, so I will be here to keep Wade going, keep him on task, I guess. A um, couple of uh, housekeeping notes before we get going. Um, first of all, the episode is going to be about Wittenberg, intro to Wittenberg specifically. So that's obviously a important place for uh, in the life of Luther. And so we'll kind of do a little bit of background talk on that. And again, I'll let Wade, Wade take the lead on that. Um, if you're looking for other podcasts in our network, 1517.org slash podcasts. We'll get you all the list, the current list there. And if you're looking for information on Mike's apologetics, um, what is he calling that, Wade? Apologetics Summer camp? Course, I think, <laughs> is, yeah. it a, is it a camp? Does it he... could be, yeah. <laughs> If you're looking for the course, it's at it's at going to be at WLC in the summer of 2019. You can find information at wlc.edu slash apologetics. And there should be links in the show notes if you're looking for that. Um, Sounds like a interesting course, one week long, and uh, very affordable. So check it out if you're interested in that sort of stuff. Anything else we need to cover before we get going, Wade? I haven't looked yet, Peter. Did we hit 100 uh, ratings reviews on iTunes yet? Last I looked, we were at 99, but I haven't checked wow. for a couple of days. So we who just knows? need Those... one person out there who loves Jesus and let the bird fly to put us over the uh, over the top. Is then, there huh? is there are, is does such a person exist out there? I don't know. Just one. Can you be the one who makes a difference? <laughs> no, we've just been reminding people then to uh, please do consider subscribing if you haven't yet. Um, that is a great way for us to kind of track who our regular listeners are, um, how many we have. I know that's a number that's helpful for Caleb Keith, too, with 1517 as he kind of oversees the network uh, to get a sense for how well we're, we're reaching people um, and if the conversation is expanding. So I'd encourage that. And then we do have the daily devotions going Mike, before he got the news about the pipes at home, uh, was actually getting, he was herding cats. We have a number of new authors who have volunteered or accepted the request, not volunteered, uh, to write for us occasionally. And so you know some of the names. Uh, they've been guests on the show. Others are friends of ours, uh, people we know who will bring you some gospel-centered uh, textual devotions. So if you're not getting the devotions, please do check those out. You can find them on the website. You can subscribe to get them by email. Peter, this has already been way more disciplined than in the past because you actually gave, it seems like, at real web addresses rather than Mike and I just <laughs> guessing. Um, but I believe they can subscribe by email to the devotions on the website too. Correct, yep. There's a place to sign up for the podcast or for the blog posts in general, which will get you everything, or for the devotions in particular. So, yeah, whatever whatever your fancy is. And then it just it'll just email you a link when we post something new, and you can click through to see that content uh, directly on our webpage. And we try to follow a, a daily lectionary for that, um, try to keep things about a thousand words or less normally, so a somewhat quick read in your morning or at night. So check those out if you haven't. Um, as long as there's continued interest in it, it's something we're hoping to, to keep on doing and to enlist more people in contributing toward but, uh, yeah, as Peter said, that kind of brings us to Wittenberg today. Well, and I first, am, I just pulled up on my phone, and we are at 101 
nice. ratings and reviews. So, but you can still rate and review if absolutely. you want. We can set another goal. So, mm-hmm. thank you though. I'm I guess sure, thank you. Yeah, to, yeah. No, live here on the podcast. If podcasts are ever live, uh, you heard it here first. So. We, we made it, uh, Caleb. If you're listening, we we made our first goal or our second goal. Seventy five was the first goal. Um, we also have another guest in the studio. We should probably mention in case she yeah, says anything. She is on her iPad or is she coloring? Well, I think she's kind of doing both. She's drawing and on her iPad, but why don't you go ahead and say hello? Hi. And that is Aliva Hermanson. Uh, you probably recognize the voice, but Aliva, we thank you for joining us too. And if you have any thoughts, any questions as we talk through, please don't be shy. Um, I am trying what, to. Convince- why aren't you at school today, Aliva? Because the high was like negative 20 or something. Well, I don't think that was the high, but that was what they were saying the low was going to be. So, what be. <laughs> days were you off this week, Aliva? You were off Monday? I was off Monday. Wednesday, and today's Thursday. And you'll have school on Friday, right? Yeah. So we had a, Monday was off for snow. I think we got about 10 inches or so in the Wauwatosa, Milwaukee, West Dallas area where most of us live. And then Wednesday and Thursday was record low temperatures, uh, hence bursting pipes. And so my kids have been home too, and I am very excited for school to start again tomorrow. They are stir-crazy to the point where there have been a, a number of meltdowns. Um, some rather impressive. I wish I had uh, <laughs> thought to record them for our, our listeners. We could have had some viewers, could have logged it. Um, but on this cold day, uh, we are a little bit behind schedule. This winging it will be coming out today after we record it. It didn't come out this morning, and that's entirely because Mike and I, we had some unfortunate kind of campus events that came up. Um, some of you may know we lost a student. Um, we had J term ending. Mike and I both taught that, and now this semester beginning, and then the weather um, my garage door decided to fall apart. Uh, Peter, you've ha- you guys have had some fun too. So we just, we kind of with circumstances fell behind. But I've been trying to convince Mike to kind of do some uh, setting the stage framework stuff with a few winging it sessions here. And we did one, the last one was on Staupitz, which I really enjoyed. And if you haven't listened to, maybe it's worth going back to someone who was very influential for Luther. And uh, I really want to kind of set the stage with Wittenberg, the place, what it was like, where Luther is uh, working and teaching uh, and ministering. And then hopefully in some upcoming ones, too, or maybe we'll combine this all in one to get into some of the other important figures there. We'll talk about some of them today, but uh, the elector, Frederick the Wise, um, Lucas Cronick, famous painter, printer, pharmacist, Wittenberg's drug dealer. Um, uh, George Spalatin, who is a uh, advisor to the elector and behind a lot of the, the things that happen in Wittenberg, but also really a go between between the elector and Luther. Um, very important as Luther is kind of trying to weather these tumultuous times. And then we'll be getting into some of the um, Luther's early lectures. What is he studying and teaching about? Uh, so Romans, Hebrews, Psalms. Um, Galatians, things like that. So that's kind of the plan for where we're going. I have an outline for today's session kind of put out, and and Peter and Aliva, I I appreciate you joining, and so anything that you note from there, I didn't want just a half hour of my voice, and we all know that would have ended up completely off topic um, and probably offending some people that, uh, you know, the other guys are good at somewhat keeping me uh, on task and in line. So well, that I, reminds me, speaking of things uh, you're getting off task and out of line, um, just a quick reminder, if you listen to this before February 5th, send in for the book giveaway, uh, 
Um, uh, you can find the details on our website under the book giveaway, or the, I think it's letthebirdfly.com slash giveaway. You can find the details. But, yeah, sending your emails so you can get submitted so that we can uh, we can take a stock of everyone. We've gotten quite a few already that uh, it'll be it'll be good. Yeah, it should be fun, and that's a good episode to go back and listen to as well if you haven't with Valerie Locklear. Unapologetics, I, I myself listened because I wasn't on it, and I thought you guys did a, a great job. So maybe if we can just set the stage a little bit then with Wittenberg. We've gotten to the point where we've talked about Luther's trip to Rome. We've talked about Luther's time in the Erfurt Monastery. We've talked about um, Luther in the confessional as the one confessing especially, the influence of uh, Johann von Staupitz. Um, and now we want to get to this town that he's going to find himself in, this town of Wittenberg, which will really become definitional for Luther. If you're familiar with Luther's story a little bit, you know that, um, and we've mentioned before, outside of the trip to Rome, Luther spends much of his life within a, uh, you know, pretty much a radius, if you think of the Milwaukee metro area or the metro area you're from, pretty much that radius for most of his life. And the city of Wittenberg, Luther will really shape this city, um, Still today, now, if you go to Germany, it's Lutherstadt Wittenberg, um, the Luther city. And uh, the city will also shape him. And maybe the first thing to say along those lines is to point out that Luther's going to Wittenberg at a, at a time uh, when there was a, a growth of towns in Germany. Now, most of Europe still has a rural population, but during the 14th, 15th century, there's a, a big migration to towns and in some places to cities. Um, so you can think of the uh, Italian peninsula, and you've got Venice, you've got Milan, um, you've got Rome, you've got Florence. Uh, later in the Netherlands, for instance, you have Amsterdam developing, and in England, London. Germany is going to be a little bit different in that we think of big cities in Germany now, Munich, Berlin, Frankfurt, but uh, it's not going to develop primarily as a lot of metropolis, metropolises, metropolis. Metropoli. Metropoli. What, would that be third or what decline? I don't know. My Latin's yeah. so old. <laughs> I'm getting on a, a tangent anyways. But uh, but towns will be very important. And still today, if you go to Germany, you'll notice there's a lot of Milwaukee-sized cities. There's not a lot of Chicago, L.A., New York-sized cities. Really outside of Berlin, everything else is kind of um, Milwaukee, Detroit, um, Omaha, you know, I'm maybe picking too much Midwest. Even Boston, size cities. Munich is 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 definitely well, not the size of Berlin. And there, you're talking about now or, or at that even time? now? I yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, no. And at that time, correct me if I'm wrong here, Wade. You'd know better. Um, but I mean, towns are. I mean, cities are much smaller than we would think of cities now, simply yep. because you have to. It's all, you know, there's no there's no no cars or trains or anything. It's, it all has to be walkable, basically. And so you're just limited kind of in scope of a size until you get to automatic transportation of some sort. And, and it should be it should have been Greek, not Latin, because Metropolis that's would be true. Yeah, uh, from right. Polis, so I don't know. Um, and uh, and I think this is important, too, and, and you hit on a good point with that. And part of it, too, is with the development of Germany, we think of Germany now, and really that's what, 1870, it's Bismarck, when Germany right. will be unified. Germany's a lot of territories. Maybe in America we'd probably speak of states, although they're much smaller. And so you have towns developing because of, um, you know, princely support for the towns, or sometimes imperial free cities, but they're still very tied, imperial meaning they're un directly under the emperor. They're still very tied to kind of their hinterlands, the area around them. And so not uh, like in England, where you'll have a, 
a London that will become a capital and a very important city, or the city-states in Italy, like Venice and Florence, for instance. Um, even Rome at that time is not nearly as big as we think of Rome being now. And so to give a sense for some populations of um, some of the more well-known towns at Luther's time, we think of Leipzig. Leipzig is a very important city in Germany still today. In East Germany, was one of the larger cities. Uh, at this time, it's 4,000 people. Dresden, uh, most of us know Dresden, if for nothing else. If you've read Vonnegut, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, you know about the, 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 the firebombing of Dresden, is about 3,200 people. Eisleben, where Luther is from, is actually twice the size of Wittenberg. It's about 4,000 people. Um, so these are not uh, nearly as big as we would think of today. Um, I keep going back to Milwaukee, but we think of Milwaukee as one of the smaller big cities in America, and that's 600,000 people, right? It's still a, you know, many, many, many times larger than many of the towns. I mean, really just inconceivable at that time to be that right. that many people that close together. You just Sanitation wouldn't have allowed people to survive in that situation. Right. And so we're, we're talking about um, kind of the layout of Wittenberg. You're talking basically what we would consider eight city blocks is about what we're talking about as far as geographic size. Um, but with the developments of these towns, you have some exciting things happening as well as these towns kind of begin to mark transitions from the medieval to the early modern. Um, the older cities, and Erfurt definitely was an older city. It's been called the City of Spires. There's all kinds of churches and monasteries. Uh, but these newer towns often are, are founded by local rulers or um, territorial princes. And so you have much more prominence given to the the, um, the prince's court, to the castle or the palace, depending on what they're building. Um, you have churches that they're trying to build to be on scale with some better-known cities. But, uh, but definitely new developments, uh, towns laid out, in what we would consider a more early modern fashion. And early modern just means between medieval and modernity. We just haven't come up with a great term for that time period. Um, I'm an early modern historian, and if you ask me what that means, I can't exactly even define it all that well. You could, anywhere from maybe the late 1400s up to the Enlightenment, so getting into the 1700s, we can really talk about early modernity. An interesting thing to keep in mind with Saxony, too, is that uh, so Saxony is the territory or the state, maybe we would think of it, that uh, Wittenberg is in. You had uh, these questions of how th should things be handed down and divided among the family line. And you had some territories where things kept getting divided between sons and territories became so small, the family actually lost influence. Um, or you had bickering within the family as you had basically counties that had these rivalries. And so in 1485, there was this settlement that divided Saxony um, into Albertine, Albert, and Ernestine, Ernest, or Ernst, uh, Saxony. And the capital of Albertine, Saxony, and I'm Albertine, I don't know how you want to say that, was Dresden, which we said was about 3,200 people, an older city, more established. Um, and that would be, if we think of Duke George, great rival of Luther, Duke George not a fan of Luther. Um, Luther sometimes would throw out lines like, even should heaven rain asses, I mean Duke George's. Um, we would not give in. <laughs> um, Duke George would sometimes write to Frederick the Wise or the other subsequent princes and electors of Saxony complaining about Luther, and they'd kind of write back and be like, yeah, that's just Luther. Um, 
But uh, what Ernestine Saxony got, which kind of has its leading city become Wittenberg, was the electoral title. And if we think of the Holy Roman Empire, which some have joked was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire, it really was a collection of what we today would consider very different countries. Um, these would include places like Hungary and Austria. This would include even, um, at times, Spain. Um, the Netherlands, the low countries as we think of it, what's now Belgium, which is kind of a country that's just created out of um, French and, and Dutch uh, uh, you know, uh, backgrounds. Uh, Flemish, Flanders, we can think of, or the Walloons in that area. It really spans much of Europe, the Holy Roman Emperor, even as he's protecting what he sees as the, the Roman Catholic Church, will um, his troops will plunder Rome. Um, if you read Gicciardini, the sack of Rome, you can you can read about that. Uh, but this electoral title was very important, and I should have brushed up on this before him. I believe there were seven electors, and some of them were ecclesiastical, some of them were political, meaning some were bishops or bishop princes, meaning they were a bishop who was also the secular temporal ruler in the land. And that's really a modern kind of differentiation I'm making there between secular and ecclesiastical there. It was oftentimes wed in a synthesis. but Right, yeah, no, I'm, I was just going to kind of make that same point. This is something that we understand perfectly clear. It's not so clear at this time. Yeah, and so um, this electoral title was very important because it meant you were one of the few people who got a vote on who the new emperor would be. And right before the Diet of Worms, which we'll get to, Charles V is elected emperor. Um, and he needed the support of Luther's prince or elector, uh, the prince who was an elector, Frederick the Wise. The Pope actually, for a while, wanted Frederick the Wise to kind of run to be emperor. Um, France had vested interests in who would be elected. And so this gave Frederick the Wise um, a say, influence, uh, status, um, a reputation beyond simply Saxony. But what Frederick needs, so we have this in 1485, is needs to really have his city, right? A city that is Frederick's city. And there were other cities he could have picked. Um, Leipzig is in Albertine Saxony, so he couldn't pick Leipzig, although Luther will go to Leipzig for the Leipzig debate. And he picks Wittenberg. Wittenberg's on the Alba, which is an important uh, river in Germany. But it, uh, it's sandy. The, the name means white hills or mountains. Uh, and there really wasn't much there. And so some people look at that and say, why in the world would they pick Wittenberg? There's nothing there. But if you kind of want to build your own city, right, establish something to be your legacy, it kind of makes sense to do it where there isn't much else. This was a, there was mining in the region, not in Wittenberg, but that meant you had some princely income in the area that could help go into the building projects. It also meant that Wittenberg could become a bit of a place of, of commerce. But Wittenberg very much became a courtly city. It's where government happened, a university town, and then somewhere where also the hope was that a lot of ecclesiastical life would, would take place. But we're talking a city with a population um, when it starts to hit a higher point of about 2,000 people. Um, and it, it definitely was a city under construction, a, a town of scaffolding. Some contemporaries talked mm -hmm. about it, where if you go to Wittenberg now and see stuff, there's some stuff you'll see and you can say, oh, that's what it looked like when Luther was there. But there's other projects that were taking place throughout Luther's life that 
are now prominent in the city that are only really going to come to fruition and be finished after Luther has died. Um, I have on there, Peter, uh, a note there that uh, Wittenberg has a princely town from scratch, and I have there that uh, provincialism helped Luther unhindered by establishments. And maybe uh, I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Peter, uh, if you want to guess at what I'm getting at by there, or why that might have been helpful for Luther, that he wasn't walking into a town and a university that had been around for a few hundred years. Yeah, I don't know. I was I, I saw your note there, and I'm not uh, not exactly <laughs> sure. My guess is going to be that he's, uh, um, he's dealing with uh, local... Uh, political uh, realities rather than more global. Um, and so I'm assuming this ties back to Frederick the Wise um, offering him and being able to legitimately offer him protection, um, political protection, because the larger establishments that are out there do, uh, can't basically can't, can't penetrate into Wittenberg, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's exactly it. So he's able to go into a place where you're not walking into a faculty meeting of a university that's been around for 200 years that has its own traditions. Um, that doesn't want to. Ha- it doesn't want to lose funding. Um, it has a reputation to uphold. Um, there's entrenched colleagues, um, who uh, any of us who have dealt with academia or bureaucracy in general know, could kind of leverage uh, him out of uh, out of influence. And so Luther's able to go to something that's very much a startup, but that Frederick wants to be a leading city a leading ecclesiastical center, a leading university, and he's really able to develop something. Uh, so how does Luther find himself there in the first place? Like, How does he find himself in this situation? Because it seems very fortuitous for him if he's uh, looking at uh, starting some sort of a reformation. Yeah, <laughs> no, and that's a good question, and I think that's something I should have tied from the Staupitz episode. We've talked about Luther going to Rome in opposition to Staupitz. Staupitz wanted to merge... Um, the conventual and the observant orders, um, and Luther was a member of an observant uh, um, monastery in, in Erfurt, the Augustinian monastery there, and they went to appeal against Staupitz's plan. But once that appeal is rejected, there, it's said they had no grounds for appeal, Luther decides, okay, as a good Roman Catholic and a good uh, friar, he's going to submit to Staupitz, his superior, and this does not sit well with the other monks in Erfurt. Um, Luther also was recognized by Staupitz as someone with talent and ability. He came into the monastery with a very good education. And I think there were some, too, that saw his rise, you know, the, the young guy kind of moving ranks quicker than some mm-hmm. who had been there much longer. And so he was less welcome in Erfurt than he had been before. And then Staupitz also recognizes in him, with his educational background and his interests, um, someone who could potentially be a good professor. And a good way to get Luther out of his own head and out of the, the mire of theology that was you know, playing upon his scruples and, and leading, um, if not to despair, then to what Luther calls anfactun, you know, um, trial and temptation, was to get him into the scriptures. And Luther had made clear he was interested in the scriptures. And so he had already been sent to Wittenberg to study, to do his Ph.D., and as part of that, he taught the, the kind of courses that you would teach as a grad student, as a T.A., um, kind of the foundational courses of the curriculum. But he will be sent back as someone who has then uh, become a doctor of theology in 1512, um, 
he's transferred in 1511 to the Augustinian house there because it's becoming clear he's almost done and he will be teaching there. Uh, Staupitz sees to it. Um, Staupitz was, it seems, a childhood friend of Frederick the Wise. Frederick the Wise wanted the best Staupitz had. Staupitz hmm. thinks Luther is potentially one of the best he has. And so Frederick the Wise, being ambitious for his university, um, welcomes Luther there. Uh, Luther was also um, cheap as far as it goes to faculty budget because um, when the monks or friars taught somewhere, they were already living off of, they had taken a vow of poverty and then were supported by their order. And there was a very small um, Augustinian house at Wittenberg, which becomes Luther's house eventually, the Mm -hmm. Black Cloister. Uh, But he also shows potential, and so Staupitz really will be why Luther ends up there. He gets his Ph.D., or his, well, what would be a Th.D., I don't know, his Doctor of Theology in 1512. And in 1513, then he's lecturing on the Bible, and he'll start with the Psalms. And so it's really Staupitz um, and then also Luther finding himself at odds with the Erfurt Monastery that still was rather hostile to Staupitz, even though Staupitz gave up on his plan to force kind of the unification of the of the, the different monastic houses that gets him there. Um, and so he finds himself in Wittenberg. A- at times he'll speak highly of Wittenberg as kind of, you know, um, this growing place that's being provided by rather, being provided for rather miraculously by God. I mean, you know, you'll say we have these sandy hills on the Elba, but we have what we need. Other mm-hmm. times he'll talk about as being just Wittenberg and, you know, kind of this backwoods type place. But it will really serve him well um, if you think of, if you've ever had a new position or a job where you get to kind of build something new from scratch, maybe your employer is opening a new branch somewhere, um, maybe you teach at a school and they're starting a new curriculum, uh, maybe as a pastor you're, you're starting a mission. Um, one of the benefit there's plenty of challenges, but one of the benefits can be you really get to craft things. And Luther will... Uh, kind of have the ear of the rest of the faculty pretty early. Someone who he will find himself at odds with later will be an early supporter, namely Karlstadt. Mm-hmm. Melanchthon will come because Luther's there, and they will uh, together really be able to revise the curriculum, update, modernize the curriculum, maybe we would say at Wittenberg, and center it in biblical theology. And he's able to do so. Uh, was Frederick the Wise a, a Lutheran, an evangelical? Very good question. He does ask for um, the Lord's Supper in both kinds on his deathbed, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but he, he really has almost zero contact with Luther in life. And uh, even when Luther's preaching, Luther's often preaching at the, if you go to Wittenberg, there's the Castle Church, which was um, the Elector's Church. And I hate to break it to you, but if you go in that church, it's not the church Luther preached in because it burnt down <laughs> and had to be rebuilt, although his grave is there. Um, the city church, uh, St. Mary's, the Stadtkirche, is really where he'll do a lot of his preaching. And so the elector isn't even hearing a lot of Luther's preaching. But he's got a university, and as the Reformation kicks off, with growing enrollment, and uh, and it's growing, right? Who is the guy that they would put on pamphlets who is, is bringing in the growth? If this were WLC, it'd be Mike. Um, and, and Wittenberg, <laughs> right? It's Luther. Luther's probably got a nice head of hair at that point. And, um, a nice, like, swath, like... Gelled up yeah. and really, like, a very emotive hand gesture yep. kind of teaching. They don't put me on the cover, like, 
in my jeans that's, and hoodies sitting yeah, on that's a stool. Weird. Well, you're not even wearing jeans today. You're just wearing sweatpants and I a actually hoodie. ran into someone, and I, <laughs> I got in a debate with them. They were wearing jeans, and I said, well, actually, my clothes are more work-appropriate. And they said, why? And I said, well, work is built into it. They're sweatpants, right? <laughs> I am, I'm giving my blood, sweat, and tears to the college. Uh, I, I didn't teach today, to be fair. Our classes didn't start till 1130 because of uh, the cold, and so an 8, an 8 a.m. class. But this is a so. What's the yeah? What's the sorry to cut you off, but what's oh, the fine. what's the city like at this time? It seems like they're going through this big transition. And what's happening with uh, um, you know Luther's coming into this city that's obviously already there, but there's big transitions happening that had to create some tension and things. So talk to that. Talk to that. Yeah, this is definitely, and this will be important for Luther too. A lot of the towns or cities, but especially towns in Germany at Luther's time had some tradition of a kind of strong town council or city council, um, some autonomy or self-governance. A lot of this was in southwest Germany, but even those cities and even the imperial cities will, as the Reformation takes place, and sometimes because of the Reformation, in other words, they supported it and then they're punished later, um, as is the case with Nuremberg, they'll lose a little bit of that. But Wittenberg will be very different in that, like Mansfeld, where Luther grew up, it's very much the prince's city. Luther grows up in Mansfeld, and the prince's uh, castles are up on the hill, and you look up, and there's the authority. That's not the town council. And uh, Lucas Kronick, we mentioned earlier, will be mayor for a while, right? There is um, town government, but when the elector resides in town, it's very much a princely city. And so it's a city that's being built to be, um, to really have three, uh, think of a stool with three legs, and these are to be the, the three legs it's supposed to have. Um, the first will be the castle or palace, whatever you want to call it, that Frederick is building, the, Frederick, the residence of the elector, um, government. The second will be the university, which says something important about how Frederick sees Wittenberg, it was to be a place of learning, and not just of learning, but of new learning, of humanism, um, not simply a, a faculty entrenched in the we antiqua, the old way of learning. Um, so the university will be central, and essentially half of the population will, uh, at some points during Luther's life, be students, which leads to a lot of tension between residents and students. If you've ever been in a college town, you know some of that tension that can develop, especially when... Um, students will be students, and, and <laughs> students were not that different then. And keep in mind, these are students who are all male um, in a place that was uh, known for drinking beer. And uh, this, I mean, you could have near-riotous behavior sometimes. <laughs> um, when they go to the Leipzig debate, Luther is accompanied by, you know, students having a good time, but also armed, <clears throat> right? This, uh, you could see why some residents would not be thrilled at times with, uh, with that tension, but the third, and this is kind of the, the irony, or at least um, it's an interesting point, was the All Saints Foundation, which was to be the ecclesiastical side of things. There's not a lot of big churches. Um, the Augustinians are not going to get their own church in Wittenberg. That was the plan, but obviously the Reformation changes that. And what the All Saints Foundation was really famous for was Frederick's relics. Um, and at this time, the importance of relics was... This was an, an ability to have an encounter with a holy thing that offered you an indulgence, right? It was going to help you in purgatory. Um, and part of the reason Frederick sees this foundation as so important 
is it means you don't have to go to Rome. We've got plenty of, um, if I can be extremely simplistic, religious points here, right? You can rack up plenty of um, uh, sanctification points, if I can joke that way, (laughs) um, by visiting these relics. It was a famed collection, and Frederick is sponsoring art connected to this, famous artists like Albrecht Dürer. Um, Interestingly, Frederick seems to favor German artists. There's maybe a little bit of um, patriotism, nationalism. That's an anachronistic term, but um, he likes German kind of more simple piety than kind of the more elaborate piety and art that you, in, or the religious piety you would see in art in Italy, for instance. Mm-hmm. A lot of places, if you're building these new towns, you're going to import artists from Italy or from other places that had had an earlier renaissance. Um, Frederick really seems to favor local artists, and this is why Lucas Chronic will end up there. Um, he sees potential in the city. And these are going to be the, the three legs on which the town will rest. Now, one of those Luther is really going to kick out, and that will be as the Reformation begins to get going, um, a foundation largely based upon a collection of relics is uh, not so consistent with what Luther <laughs> is preaching and teaching. And I think it says something about Frederick the Wise and how valuable he saw Luther as, um, that he protects and supports a professor who at times is pretty openly mocking um, the notion of relics. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of his, one of his uh, underpinnings for this uh, this city, right? I mean, this is how he wants to build it. This is how he wants to be structured, and now that's being you know minimalized by one of the other legs. You know, it's kind of like kind of like two of the three legs are fighting each other. And you know, yeah, <laughs> and I mean, all kinds of resources have gone into this. Um, it's a town then that is very much under construction. The university uh, now, to me. A university ought to have buildings, um, but a university ought not be buildings, if, if that <laughs> distinction makes sense. Historically, a university or college really was the scholars who were there. People came to study with the scholars. But it was important to have buildings. At this time, um, really, they're housing students and teaching classes wherever they can find space. So there's not a university campus, so to speak, like we'll develop later there. Um, those things are very much in progress. They're being built. Um, so there's a scrambling for housing. There's actually laws that are passed um, that you have to build a house within a certain amount of time if you buy a property. Uh, and, and you have people, professors, um, professionals coming to the city then who want to build houses that look like houses in other towns of upwardly mobile people. And so if you go to Wittenberg today, you'll see some of the art and some of the um, – craftsmanship put into these houses but they're definitely uh, this is something that's just now happening and starting to take place as luther um, is there but about eight city blocks population of about two thousand if you're driving uh you know you're going on a couple hour drive somewhere and you go through a town with uh two thousand people we're talking one or two stoplights probably in america mm-hmm. today does that sound fair yeah i think that's about right maybe a walmart if there's other towns in the area um, hopefully a quick trip. Um, maybe the quick trip is the grocery store. Yeah, that could be for the town. Uh, but it's a town that's that's drawing people. And to get to something we've talked about before too, uh, Frederick very consciously is going to try to bring in printers as well. He recognizes printing will be very important for the university. Um, Lucas Chronic will eventually become a printer. 
And, uh, and so this will obviously be very important for the Reformation that develops, too, that you have a, a pretty early print industry that's taking place. Sure, and that's obviously something that's important to Luther, not just to get his words out, but, I mean, as Brand Luther, the book Brand Luther tells us, that, I yeah. mean, it, he, he took this seriously, too. He thought, thought about this. So. Yeah, and, there, um, and I think Mike wanted to hit on, and so I'll save that for Mike and I to talk about the Reformation beginning as a university movement. Um, yeah, no, I think this sets a good, good, gives us a good lay of the land for Wittenberg. So now I think the next one, hopefully you and Mike can come back and talk about it as university town, right? And yeah. that, and that, that therefore kind of spreading out from Wittenberg, but understanding where that's, where it's rooted in Luther's particular case. So. Yeah, and I think so just a, a maybe two minute hash to just hit on some things as we, as we close out. Um, it's understandable then that this is a town that's, it is attracting talent, um, as you kind of had saturated markets for talent some places, because cities are o- towns are only so big, you have a Lucas Kronika, George Spalatine, others who find their way to town. With the university, you have young scholars. So right when you get done with grad school, you're trying to find a gig. It's attracting young uh, scholars, and if Luther gives a recommendation or Spalatine or um, Staupitz, uh, that goes a long way. They're scoping out talent. So sometimes people will marvel, how can a, t- a small town like Wittenberg have so many important thinkers? And if you go to the Castle Church today, you can see the statues of all the people who were there. Well, this is because the princess, the elector is sponsoring this. Um, it's a town that was colonialized by Germans, uh, so it's in the east of Germany. It had had been uh, largely a Wendish or Wendish population, which was Slavs. Luther has some rather unkind things to say about mm-hmm. the, the Vens because they live in to- little villages still around Wittenberg, and there, there was the threat of kind of uprisings sometimes. And so, um, and it had had a Jewish population that had also been expelled long before Luther comes. But if you go to the Stadtkirche, the St. Mary's in Wittenberg, you can see the, the Judensau, the Jewish pig, and a, a very... Um, we, we would call it racist today. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, representation of the Jews. It has a Judenstrasse, but pretty much no Jewish population at the time that Luther's there. Um, so it's very upstart. It's very German. Um, and uh, it is uh, precarious, right? Whenever you have upstart things, you have a, an optimism. People wouldn't be there if they didn't have an optimism. But you also have some real instability about mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And we see that with the All Saints Foundation as Luther kind of will kick the leg out of that, too. Um, but the importance of recognizing that this was talent that was gathered there that was consciously supported by the state. Um, Frederick is building something purposeful. And so Luther really goes to what was kind of a, a, a backwoods town that some people who visit say, you know, it's a hole. Um, it's, you know, got a few dive bars and uh, a bunch of sand. Uh, but a, a town that's very much on the move and is part of something broader in Germany of the development of these towns where local rulers kind of want to have their seat of power. And I think that sets the stage for maybe when Mike has got his pipes figured out and hopefully we'll pray it's it's not much he has to do, we can kind of take off with the university and the Reformation, Luther's Reformation, being a university movement. Uh, Aliva, what do you got for us? What are you doing on your iPad there? All right, that's very interesting. Um, but I guess, uh, Peter, I, 
you don't get to be here for a lot of these sessions. You opened it up. I will let you figure out how you want to close it out. <laughs> well, as we look forward to uh, the next one, it's this kind of a intro to Wittenberg. Wittenberg. I think we'll have a you know university and Reformation something. I don't know what we'll, what we'll call it yet, but it'll be kind of a um, continue to play off of this. I've enjoyed the uh, listening to these uh, this Life of Luther series um, when it's uh, when they come out. Not usually before that. Uh, and uh, I'm glad I could could stop in here. Couldn't help out a, a whole lot on the on the history of it, but uh, fascinating all the same. And it reminds me, of course, as we uh, go through the life of Luther and think about all of the different twists and turns that history takes and where uh, where we find ourselves. That regardless of what happens, positive, negative, colder, warm, burst pipes or not, we are freed by the gospel to let the bird fly. Another round, another round, another round, another round, one more round, won't get me down. 